And for example, in every corner of our universe, we find mathematics and a precision of symmetry and non-physical values that is so exceedingly exact that reason must be abandoned in order to not see the mind, the brilliant mind that is behind all things. The Nobel Prize-winning physicist and mathematician named Eugene Winger said, the effectiveness of mathematics in the physical world is quite literally a miracle. And miracles are found everywhere. Miracles are found in the stars and in the waves and in the migration pattern of a monarch butterfly in the unconscious beating of a heart and in the fragile position of the earth. This force is so vast that all we can do is continue to stumble upon its majesty and continue to be awed by the wonder of it, the exactness of it. This majesty is so especially sweet when passion between lovers is pure and when a mother's touch heals and when a friend loves in adversity, and when strangers have compassion for one another, whenever relationships are as they should be, we see the force, this force working. In all of this, from mathematics to nature to good personal relationships, it reveals some non-physical, beautiful, infinite force upon which all reality was built And it's a force that you and I can partake in, we can share, and we can have, if even just in a tiny measure. And so as you may have deduced by the title of this sermon and by the book that we are entering, this force is wisdom. God displays the power and the majesty of his wisdom in every work of creation, in every good relational experience, and even in mathematics. It's his wisdom that is on display. And the Apostle Paul, he explores God's wisdom. Wisdom. He dives into some of the most difficult, most challenging subjects known to man. And after plumbing these depths of God's wisdom, all he can do is burst out with worship, and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then he ends that letter to the Romans with a similar doxology. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul is enthralled with God the all-wise. God who has woven all things with his wisdom. And even we sit here this morning because of God's wisdom at work in our lives. It's wisdom that he has given to his church, and it's wisdom that we are meant to share in and walk in and then be gloriously displayed through each one of us, as we read in Ephesians chapter 3. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The manifold wisdom of God displayed in us. Manifold meaning 
this and this and this and this and this, all unknown how they relate, they do, and they come together most profoundly in display of God's wisdom in the church. So I say all of that because if we want to know God, we need to know something about his wisdom. If we want to be who God created us to be, then we need to know something about his wisdom. If we come to understand these things about wisdom and about our God, then wisdom will become a very precious treasure to us. Something that we should desire, must desire above all the riches of this earth. We must have wisdom. Especially when the days are dark. And indeed, the days are dark. How we need wisdom. And so we go to the book of Proverbs to find wisdom and to mine the depths for any treasures of God's wisdom that we can find. We are so easily governed by our passions and what we hear in the world around us. How much are we governed by the wisdom of God, I wonder? I hope more so, and more so every day. So, I was going to do Proverbs 1-1 today, one verse, one single verse, but I realized I can't even do one verse today. So there's a title on your bulletin that's incorrect. (laughs) We're not going to do Proverbs 1-1. What I want to do today is set up the book. And we want to take a microscopic look at wisdom, and we want to take a telescopic look at wisdom. And I think we need both of these perspectives in order to understand what we're getting ourselves into. I was, in my studies for Proverbs, I filled page after page with notes. I think it's more notes than I've taken on a single verse um, than ever before. Because there's so much that we need to understand Proverbs. So I scrapped my original plan, I threw off my whole schedule, sorry, and now we're just going to look at Proverbs as a whole. And how do we understand it? How do we read it? How do we approach it? So before we dive in, would you pray with me? And we come to you, God, the all-wise God, Because we need your wisdom. Even to understand how to read Proverbs, we need your wisdom. And so I pray as we endeavor to gain that understanding, that you would speak to us, that you would allow your wisdom to enter our minds and flow into our hearts and then burst out of our hands. Let your wisdom be at work in us. May we gain a little bit more of what that manifold wisdom is to look like, the glory of it, the beauty of it, that is to be proclaimed to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Let a little bit of it come into our lives right now. Pray you would use this time, Father, and speak to us. Use my words and keep me from error and encourage all of us with your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So Proverbs is a book all about wisdom, obviously. When you think of wisdom, 
And you think of the Bible, most people think about Proverbs, and indeed you should, because in Proverbs there's a whole feast of wisdom for us to enjoy and digest and really never find an end to it. And before we take our first bite, let's ask ourselves, what is wisdom? Let's define wisdom. To answer the question, we're going to look at the first use of the word in Hebrew for wisdom, which is chokmah. And this is our microscopic view, our tiny, focused-in view of chokmah. And I want to show you the very first usage of chokmah in the Bible, which comes in Exodus chapter 28. As, as, Israel, as God is giving instruction and plans for how Israel is going to build the tabernacle, he says this, You shall speak to all the skillful chokmah people, whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, chokmah, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for priesthood. So the skill, chokmah. Just a few chapters later in Exodus 31, we get, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, chokmah, and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Chokmah is this skill, this ability to do these things beautifully and well with craftsmanship. Chokmah translates as wisdom all over the Bible. Knowledge put into skillful practice. So they know in their mind how to work with gold. But the skill of working with gold, with making it, crafting it into something beautiful and desirable, that's chokmah. That's wisdom. So Proverbs is a book that is filled with knowledge of how to live skillfully, how to navigate life. And that's what I've entitled this sermon series of Proverbs, How to na- or Navigate Life. This is knowledge of how to navigate our lives well. Now, you could memorize the entire book of Proverbs, all 31 chapters, and walk away with absolutely no wisdom. All you would have is knowledge. So this knowledge, this, this knowledge needs to penetrate our heart settle in there, begin changing things, and then needs to be expressed by our hands, by our lives. This is chokmah. This is wisdom. Knowledge penetrating your heart, expressed with your life. That's how to be wise. Knowledge is in the head. Wisdom is the skillful application of that knowledge. Proverbs is a book filled with the knowledge of how to be wise. It's wisdom literature. So in our Bibles, we find all kinds of literary genres, right? We just finished a prophetic book in the prophetic genre, Joel. And then there are epistles, like Galatians, which is an argument of ideas, of thoughts. And then Joshua, which we did a while ago, 
is a narrative, a, a historical book tell you, telling you about the unfolding of events. Before that, we did Mark, which is a gospel telling you about the life of Jesus. All of these are different genres, and, and we've gone through all of these. I've preached through all of these books, which means we have not yet repeated a literary genre, which I find exciting. Each one of these needs to be read in a totally different way. If you read them all the same way, you'll not understand anything you've read. And so we need to understand how to read these different books. And so when we begin Proverbs, we enter a new genre. We enter wisdom literature. And the other books of wisdom are Ecclesiastes and Job. So before reading Proverbs, before even chapter 1, verse 1, we need to understand how to read Proverbs in light of the other wisdom books. How does it fit in with Ecclesiastes and with Job? And so here we come to our telescopic view, our big view of the book of Proverbs. And we're going to spend most of our time here. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, they all give us just a piece of the picture of how wisdom works. None of them give us the full picture of wisdom, but with each book, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, the picture grows, gives us the entire picture, and so we need to look at the whole picture to understand how to read one proverb. For instance, Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That proverb is true, and that proverb is not always true. And I think that you could read this verse, perhaps, and get very bitter because you've raised up your child in the way they should go, and then they departed from that exact way. Does that mean that this proverb is a lie? Does that mean that you did not raise your child up in the way he should go? Is it your fault? If we read Proverbs like that, we miss it. It's easy to think this way, and it's easy to get cynical. But you know what? That's what Ecclesiastes does. It gets deeply cynical. You cannot read Ecclesiastes and not feel the cynicism pulsating throughout it. Ecclesiastes is a cynical book. Proverbs is so optimistic, like that verse that we just read, Proverbs 22.6. So optimistic, Ecclesiastes takes us cynical. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes about how time and chance and death, they rob us of the things that we think we should have. Our plans fail. They don't go right. Regardless of how much wisdom we exercise or how much righteousness that we demonstrate or how great our work ethic is, whatever else it is, life seems harsh and random and meaningless. And so Solomon writes, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Boy, that is cynical. Like, what is the point of anything if that verse is a literal truth? Meaningless. So Solomon would say, yeah, raise up your child in the way that he should go. But time, chance, or death will likely claim them, will claim them. 
Death certainly will. It's meaningless. And then you get to the end of the book. We're not Solomon, but this narrator writes, The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Therefore, what appears meaningless is not. For all secret things will be brought to light, seen by God in the life that comes after this life. All the good things you do and the bad things are being recorded by God. And though you may not experience a reward in this life, one is coming. A reward is coming. So raise up your child in the way he should go, and God will reward you for showing your child him. It deeply pleases God. So Proverbs gives this beautiful soaring optimism, and Ecclesiastes is cynical and explores the reality that everything does not go according to plan. Life can seem harsh and random and meaningless, but it is still the epitome of wisdom to do what God wants you to do, to obey God, to live in harmony with God every moment of your day because this life is not everything. And then Job gives us the final picture of wisdom, the final piece of the puzzle. For Job is a righteous man, and Job does do what God says. He is obedient in all of his ways, and God even says that this man is innocent, which is an incredible thing to say about a human. And even though Job is innocent, God allows for everything to be taken away from him. As you know, I think you probably know the story, his, his health and his wealth and his family, it's stripped of him. His children are dead. And it's harsh. Job sees it as harsh, as random, as meaningless. What is going on? And God doesn't explain to him, not at one point in the book of Job, does God tell Job why it happens. To him, it's totally asinine. Random, meaningless, harsh. Where Ecclesiastes took, up, took us. Then Job's friend, friends show up with the mentality that I think we often have when we incorrectly read Proverbs. And they say to Job, Job, you're not righteous because these things are happening to you. If you did the right things... These things wouldn't happen. Clearly, there's sin in your life. If you had raised up your child in the right way, they would not have departed. But that mentality of Job's friends, that mentality that we so often hold, it only betrays a lack of wisdom. And God reprimanded these friends for their lack of wisdom, among other things. It's a small view of God. It's a small view of reality. But then you come to the end of the book where God speaks to Job and God doesn't give Job an answer. Again, he doesn't tell him, he doesn't explain anything about Job's specific situation. What God does is he shows him his wisdom 
His infinite wisdom woven into all creation from the littlest thing to the greatest thing and these massive giant beasts that no man can fight against. It shows him his wisdom from long before the foundations of the world were laid, the long into eternity future. God shows this incredible wisdom and Job is left marveling at what he has seen. And he writes, Job writes, in response to what he has seen, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job realizes that all these things that seem so random and harsh and meaningless are just a tiny piece of the picture, infinitesimally small, In God's infinite wisdom. Only God sees the whole thing. Only the all-wise God can be trusted when life does not go according to plan. And this is the whole story of wisdom. A story we must understand if we want to understand one tiny proverb. Proverbs tells us how humans can walk in the wisdom of God, how to navigate life. Ecclesiastes tells us that even if we do, it may not turn out how we think it should. But strive to walk in the way of wisdom nonetheless because there's more than just this life. And Job tells us that when things do seem harsh or random or meaningless, God is in control. And he is working all things together for good for those he has chosen True wisdom can suffer and trust in God's wisdom. So this is our picture of wisdom. And you need all three books to get the whole picture. And you read one proverb with these three books in your mind. So back to Proverbs. How do we understand Proverbs? Like this, like we read already, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he, will, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Or later in that same chapter, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. I guess that means I was never that skillful at my work because I never stood before a king. Wisdom is to teach your child to follow God. And wisdom is to do all you can do to work with skill. As much as God has given you skill, work with that skill. But they do not guarantee that your child will follow the Lord when they are old. And they do not guarantee that you're going to stand in front of kings if you're a skilled worker. Proverbs shows us the best way, how, the best way to live right now. Right in this moment. This is how you should live. And the moment that follows that one, live in this way as well. Live in this way of wisdom. We cannot read Proverbs as equations, where if you put in the right amount, you get out what you want. Proverbs do not work like that, because if God rewarded us like that, like an equation, our morality would only serve our sinful base desires. We turn Proverbs into laws. 
live by ethical laws rather than by faith and hope and love. And so with great wisdom, God develops our character by taking us through suffering, teaching us to treasure His wisdom and to rely on His wisdom, although we suffer, to live in righteousness even when there's no immediate reward. He's teaching us wisely, building our character, making us more like Him. How beautiful when somebody endures suffering for the hope of eternal life. That's wisdom on display. I come to Psalm 73, and I feel like this is maybe one of the most concise, beautiful demonstrations of wisdom, of this whole picture of wisdom. If you like, you can turn to Psalm 73. The verses will be also on the screen. Starting in verse 1, Psalm 73 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they had no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. That was a good thing back then. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. You see the struggle that Asaph has as he writes this psalm. He's trying to be righteous and pure in heart, and the wicked are the ones that are prospering, getting all the ease, as much food as they want, as many riches as they desire. He feels like his righteousness is meaningless. Vanity, vanity. You can hear the words of Solomon. And then he receives wisdom from God, starting in verse 16 of Psalm 73. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task to me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. The wicked will be repaid ultimately, for their wickedness. Then he writes in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire apart from you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. Oh, that is wisdom, beautiful wisdom. Pursue righteousness, even if it doesn't lead you to health, wealth, and happiness. Everything in life may and perhaps will come crashing down at some point. Meanwhile, you look over your shoulder and there are the wicked with everything prospering, One look at the news shows you, or social media. But let us not be satisfied in the rewards of this earth. Let us be satisfied in God. 
our strength, our portion forever. Let us draw upon Him who gives the strength to walk righteously, to walk in wisdom, even through suffering. Let us always set before our eyes the glory that He will receive us into. That is coming. And this is wisdom. This is how to live our lives. And this is how we must read Proverbs. Again, we read Proverbs not to get what we want, but to navigate wisely through a fallen world, keeping our eyes fixed on God and His eternally wise plan. This is how we read Proverbs. I want to spend a moment talking about why we're just going to read the first nine chapters of Proverbs in the sermon series. Just the first nine chapters of Proverbs. First of all, I didn't want to get into a sermon series that would take well over a year. Um, as good as that can be, I didn't want to take more than a year. <laughs> so there's that. Secondly, chapters 1 through 9 of Proverbs, it lays a foundation for the rest of the book. So in, in the book of Proverbs, when you think of the book, you often think of these pithy one-liners, uh, like the two that we just read, with quick snaps of wisdom, which is a true proverb. But you won't find those in chapters 1 through 9. 1 through 9 is quite different. It's more poetic, uh, even story-like at times. And and here in the first nine chapters, we get these two really beautiful images that are explaining wisdom to us. And the first one is of a father instructing his son. And then the second one is of lady wisdom, where wisdom is personified as this beautiful woman who beckons to all people, really, to come and learn from her, where she has this treasure to give out, this, this teaching to dispense. So desirable is she. So you get these two images of a father teaching his son and of lady wisdom. And through these, we learn that Proverbs is not about giving good advice. Proverbs are not merely good advice for your life. And we learn that Proverbs are not about increasing probabilities of having a good life now. Like if you do raise your child in, a, in, in the way they should go, it's likely, more likely, that they will follow God. There may be some truth in that, but Proverbs are not about increasing the probabilities of having a good life. Proverbs, as we learn from the father instructing his son and lady wisdom, is about God's invitation for you to learn about his wisdom through past generations. That's what Proverbs are about, how they work. God is inviting you, inviting you to learn his wisdom from past generations. Proverbs is insight in how to live in harmony with God and with man. If God created the universe with wisdom, then learning these things is learning how to live with the grain of the universe rather than against the grain. How to flow with wisdom through the universe. Sounds a little mystical, maybe, but 
So true. How to live in harmony with God and man. And we see that there will be many topics covered in the first nine chapters. And some very difficult topics covered in the first nine chapters. But the main idea is how to establish this way of living where you will honor God and honor man. It's a foundation that we need to read the rest of the book of Proverbs, and it's a foundation that we need in our lives, how to honor God and how to honor man, how to live in harmony with God and with man, how to live with the grain of the universe. So we're going to dive deep into how wisdom works. And I pray that through these next months of studying Proverbs, that you will learn to treasure wisdom. And it will become a most desirable thing to you. The most desirable thing to you. Or at least one of the most desirable things to you. For God has many desirable things for us. But certainly wisdom rises to the top. And he wants us to pursue her, to desire her, and she is there to be received. How we need wisdom in times like ours. Even as I think about how we walk through COVID, or how to deal with the world being torn apart by a battle of ideas and racial disparity, or how we are pulled in so many directions by distractions and busyness and temptation. How we need wisdom. Indeed, these days are dark. And we need wisdom to navigate them. So this is how you read the book of Proverbs now. I think, I hope that you understand that. Tomorrow, no, not tomorrow, rather a week from today, We're going to look at one verse, and I'm excited to. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for offering wisdom to us, opening it to us that we might walk into it and desire it and pursue it, and then you give it freely. It's not just something you call us to and then withhold, but you just lavish it upon us as we pursue and as we seek. And I pray that as we do, you would help us to keep in our minds this whole picture of wisdom, to pursue it, even if things don't go how we think they should, and to trust your wisdom when things are not going according to plan. Thank you that we can trust you wholly and completely, and we are secure in your hands. And For those that you have chosen, for us who have come to Jesus Christ in faith, all these things are working together for good. And we know that that belief is wisdom. What may seem trite and foolish to the world is wisdom from you. Thank you for it. Thank you for this time. And I pray that you'd be changing our hearts to more and more reflect wisdom, your manifold wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.